Prior to the pandemic, experts widely acknowledged that America's students were experiencing a mental health crisis. In 2017, a CDC report showed that suicide was the second leading cause of death for 15 to 24-year-olds. Add incidents of self-harm into the equation, and the outlook is even more bleak. The average age a student begins self-harming habits is 13, and 45% of those students use cutting as their method of self-injury. Who has the most exposure to students during these years? Ostensibly, it's the teachers. Earlier this year, the Brookings Institution published an article titled, Educators are Key in Protecting Student Mental Health During the COVID-19 Pandemic. Cassie Clausen, teacher and founder of The Open School in Mission Viejo, California, realized that she was not equipped for this challenge. Using one of Fund for Teachers' new innovation grants, she will spend the summer in dialogue with psychologist Dr. Thomas D'Angelo, an expert in preteen and teen mental health and self-harm practices, to shift her personal understanding of self-harm and learn how to create safe spaces for struggling students. Welcome to Fund for Teachers, the podcast. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. Today, we visit with Fund for Teachers fellow Cassie Clausen. In 2015, after three years of fundraising and recruiting, Cassie founded The Open School, a K-12 self-directed democratic school modeled after the Sudbury School concept in which everyone is treated equally and there is no authority other than that granted by the consent of the school community. She holds an undergraduate degree from Westmont College, a master's degree in performance and culture from Goldsmiths University of London, as well as a master's degree in secondary education from the University of Missouri, St. Louis. In 2018, Cassie received a Fund for Teachers grant to attend the annual Sudbury Schools Conference in Kingston, New York, to learn best practices for supporting at-risk students. We were curious about how that demographic expanded to include students harming themselves. I like to start these conversations with a very simple question of what inspired you to become a teacher? Oh, um, it may not know, be a simple answer, but yeah, it, I don't know if it can be, but I definitely, I think I fell backwards into education um, and didn't really realize that it was my passion um, f- at first. So I, um, I actually have a theater degree and I thought, you know, the only job that I can see theater actually being something that you could do for a living is teaching. And so um, I started by looking for, for you know, just drama teacher positions, which are really difficult to get because there's only one per high school and that person stays for 20 years. So I, you know, I just wanted to get into a school at all so that then I could like maybe be in place and start working in the drama department. So I, um, so that's kind of like how, why I got into it. And I started by teaching Spanish one uh, because it was, I was, we were living in Missouri at the time. I have, you know, growing up in California, I had like a decent amount of Spanish background and had taken a lot of Spanish and I knew it and I would be able to teach that. So I started by doing that. And while I was there, I got, I, I wanted to move up the pay ladder. So I um, decided to get a master's of education. So during the master's, um, there was a philosophy of education class that just opened up everything for me. Um, Because, you know, I think that there's a lot of, in teaching, there's a lot of 
uh, sort of this is just how things are done. And this is you're doing the system and you're, you're incentivizing kids and it's behavior management and blah, blah, blah. And you kind of just get like in the grind. And that philosophy of education class, when we were reading Montessori and Dewey, and especially for me, the thing that really triggered uh, for me was A.S. Neal um, Summerhill. And Summerhill is the first democratic free school in the world. And reading about learning being like coming from the learner and being a, a something that you know, if, if, if a student has meaning about something, if they care about it, then they're actually learning. It's not just about our, you know, how do they do on the test and the assessment and how do we motivate them and all that. But like, no, people have intrinsic motivation and, and that learner centered concept really stuck with me from that philosophy class. But then I would go to my job and everything is opposite. You know, we are, it's all carrot and stick. It's all, it's, we're just trying to kind of move them through the system. And, and, um, and at the same time, I was teaching mostly freshmen and sophomores, which turned out, and I get like, it was just so happenstance. I love that age group. They, you know, they were just delightful. Um, it's like they're big kids still, you know, they're like, really like they, and I was a young teacher. So I would just, I would do games and, and put a lot of time into it. But then I would just also, I was really realizing why I'm here is I love seeing, I love kind of being around this energy and watching the growth of um, the development and the aha moments and the things when the students, like when they realize something for the first time, like that is, it's a, it's a magic that you kind of don't get anywhere else. So I, that's really when I realized like, oh, I actually don't care about theater that much. <laughs> like that, that was just sort of a thing I did. Like what I really, I really love actually education and education became the thing that I was passionate about. And the content wasn't actually the point anymore. It was just, a, it was the kids. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into to education as a whole. So then it looks like in 2007 that you went to, uh, you were in England. Yes. And that you saw this very unique school. Right. That then opened you up to a whole new paradigm. Is that true? Right. Well, this is Summerhill. So, so when we went to, we went to England because it was a, it was like a bucket list thing for me, a, a master's degree that I wanted. While we were there, I said, you know, I, I've read about this school. I had, I had emailed with the headmaster a little bit and I wanted to visit it while we were there. So I had already started like really reading and digging in on self-directed democratic schools and this self-directed education philosophy. And um, just the but visiting Summerhill cemented it for me it was you know being in the space and feeling the freedom the autonomy the the respect the kids were confident you know we, we had a tour of like 30 adults and it was led by a 10 year old girl and she was just confident and answering really hard questions and people who were like well, wait a minute, you don't, you don't have to learn math, you know, and she would like, explain like, right, well, I don't, I'm not required to, but why wouldn't I, if I'm, you know, like, it's, if I'm curious about it, like, and so then, you know, the, 
it was just interesting to be there and then to really see it in action to the extent I could, you know, on a three hour tour or whatever the, the length of time we were there. So it, that really cemented for me that as an educator, this is where I want to be. I want to be in this space where, where students really have ownership of their own education and their own lives. So this space though, it, while it did exist, it certainly didn't exist very many places. And when I was, again, kind of researching your background and your impact, and I realized at the school that the open school, which you ultimately founded, I kept reading about kind of the premise and how it was built on the Sudbury model. And I, I was thinking, this is so familiar. And I went back and found an NPR story Ira Glass did on democratic education. I think it was the free school. Was it Albany or Brooklyn free school? Brooklyn free school. Brooklyn free school. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember, and it was in 2011. So it made that much of an impact, but I was in my car. I was, I've been at fun for teachers for a long time. And so I was trying to get my head around this idea of a democratic education. And I really couldn't. And I kept thinking, how is this working? Like, the Zini and and the Princess Bride, like this is inconceivable that this works. (laughs) So would you just talk about the model in general and then how it does work? Right, right. Well, here, I mean, here's the thing that that it's, you have to shift your paradigm and your basic assumptions. Like if if you're working on the same basic assumptions as conventional education, then it doesn't work because they're not all getting re- like English and math and science and they're not all getting common core subjects, but those aren't our basic assumptions. So our, our, and our goals are different. So the basic assumptions are humans are curious and they will, they will um, challenge themselves that learning is everywhere, that all information is valuable and valid, and all interests are valuable and valid. Somebody might have a real deep interest in Shakespeare that's uncommon, but we've ruined, honestly, the education system has ruined Shakespeare for people. So I'm just going to say that. But someone might have, you know, a really, you know, deep interest in something that we consider canonically academic and valuable in our system. But, but, Someone also might have a really deep interest in computer programming or in graphic design or in acrylic art or in um, any, any number of things that are not part of the canon. And, and so that's okay. In our, in, in our worldview, any interest is, is a valuable and valid interest because the learner is valuable and valid. And what they, what they are interested in matters. So that's, that's basic assumption number one that's really important. The other thing is, is the goal is not content. The goal is not about getting a bunch of information into the student by the time they're 18. Instead, it's about skill building and self-directed becoming responsible for yourself so that by the time you're 18 and you're leaving the, you know, going into the adult world, you know how to make things happen for yourself. You have your own goals and you know how to accomplish them. And so that's the skill, that's one of the major skills that then is translatable and you can do that for anything. So you can, and some of the other skills that they learn at schools like ours are collaboration, uh, problem solving, creativity, um, resilience, a lot of of things that are just really, they're soft skills there. And so they might not come out knowing like, 
all of the historical dates that some, you know, that students in a conventional school might know, but they know how to find them. And they know if they're interested in something, they know how to pursue it. So that's, that's the skills is like being able to pursue things. Um, so that's how, you know, once you shift the kind of what are, what are our goals here, then you can, I think you can more easily see how it works because it's the same way that stu- that people learn before they're five and that they learn after they leave school. It's the exact same way, the way that you and I learn. From that description, I can kind of see how the Reggio Emilia process, and I, I see some of that in there, and I see a lot of the Montessori. I see a lot. We partner with uh, EL schools. I see a lot of that in there. Mm-hmm. But then you take it a step above that, and and it, from a democratic perspective, everyone mm-hmm. has the same voice. There right. are no teachers, no students. Ex- explain okay. how that <laughs> works. Right. So then we have the democratic governance, which is also just, it's just, it's another, it's amazing. So the reason that self-directed schools and democratic governments government goes together, in my opinion, is that if your goal, the other, and the other major assumption is that students are human beings with the same basic human rights as adults. And that that includes the right to autonomy. That's a major right, that you have the right to choose to what to do with your own body, your own time, um, you know, where, who you hang out with, what you think about, what you learn about, that's your right as a human being. Um, And so if we are creating a system to preserve everyone's autonomy, that your agency and your voice and what you think should happen in the community is a big part of your own basic human rights. And so a direct democracy in a small school, you know, I'm not here to, you know, I'm not arguing about government politics or anything like that. This is just like in a community like ours, that is that we're here to protect basic human rights, a democracy is the best way to do that because you don't have then, a, we, we don't have a built-in baked in hierarchy uh, because an authoritarian system will automatically, imp- it will, yeah, they were, it will automatically impose and will automatically infringe on basic, on, on personal rights because, well, I have to make decisions that impact other people. If I'm, if I'm the principal, I have to make decisions for the school and I have to impact them and they just have to lump it. Like they, they, they don't have any, you know, they can maybe come and complain, but with a democratic process, you actually have a way to affect your school in a substantive way. And you have a voice that actually has weight. So that what that means for our school and most democratic schools, we have a weekly school meeting, which is all staff and students together Everyone has a vote. It's the same vote. I am a founder, but my vote isn't stronger than, you know, my six-year-old, you know, students. So everyone has the same amount of weight. Uh, We have discussions about, you know, anything that's like a rule that we want to change. If you want to spend significant money, uh, school money, if and significant is actually more than $10. So anything that you want to spend that's more than $10, you have to get school meeting approval, if it's school money, clearly. Um, if you want to make a field trip plan, if even when we're hiring, if we're hiring new staff, that's a school meeting process. It's so important that the students actually have say in who their staff are. Um, that's, you know, we're, we're there for them. So if they, if there's a staff member, that's like not a good fit, the, you know, they should have a say in that. So, so all of those processes go through the school meeting, the democratic process. 
and we have really open discussions and vote on on all of, all of these things. The NPR piece I the NPR piece by Ira Glass I referenced is called Kid Politics and aired on January the 11th, 2011. We'll link to the piece in this podcast landing page, where we'll also provide the link to another podcast in which Cassie talks more about all that was involved in founding the Open School in 2015, when she held the first classes in her home as the original staff member. For more information on the Sudbury School philosophy or the Open School's two campuses, one in person and one virtual, you can also visit theopenschooloc.com. Today, we are learning from FFT fellow Cassie Clausen. She was first awarded a 2018 Fund for Teachers grant to learn best practices for supporting at-risk students, enhancing parent-teacher relationships, and growing learner-centered schools. This summer, she will use a new Fund for Teachers innovation grant to deepen that work by collaborating with psychologist Dr. Thomas D'Angelo, who specializes in preteen and teen mental health and self-harm practices. Now I'm going to fast forward a little bit. You received a innovation circle grant from fund for teachers. This is our first year to do it. Mm -hmm. And the prerequisite for receiving one of those grants is that you were already a fund for teachers fellow, which in 2018, you were given a grant awarded a grant to go to kind of this national international meeting of schools with the Sudbury model. Yes. And, um, and just kind of collaborate and uh, network, but, but learn from each other. Right. One of the things that you talked about in doing this particular fellowship was that you were interested in helping at-risk students and giving them a voice. Mm-hmm. And now here we are with this Innovation Circle grant and you're doing the same thing. And the at-risk students, not what I would immediately jump to is at-risk students, but students who are definitely at risk, self-harm and suicidal ideation types of things. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of tell us how you got to this particular pursuit and how you decided to use the Fund for Teachers grant to, to pursue it? There's, there's a mental health crisis. We all, this is not news. There's a mental health crisis in our youth and especially it's just seems to be getting younger and younger and uh, girls seem to be more impacted than boys um, where there's just a high incidence of anxiety and depression being um diagnosed for, for our, you know, even as long, young as 10, 11 year olds are being diagnosed. This with this circle grant, it was, I think with the pandemic, we, and so we're a small school, our, we have like 34 students and our kids are really open with us. So the staff have very close relationships with the students. And so we know um, who's cutting, you know, we know that what people are going through. We also have parents who are very open with us and, and let us know. And, and so we can really partner with the families. I guess cutting is one of those things that is very, um, we have a big reaction to, you know, as adults, it's like super scary. And so as I'm learning more about it and realizing, okay, cutting is not the same as suicide ideation. It sometimes shows up in the same people but they can be two different things. And so really I wanted to partner with an expert who also knows our model and also understands our, our student kind of centered ethos and, um, and kind of like, what do we, how do we do? And even like, let's look at our specific processes and where, where we can be really thoughtful and intentional rather than just sort of 
treat this as, as any other thing. I don't, you know, so, so yeah, that's kind of what my, uh, the reason that I wanted to do it is it, with the pandemic, as I was saying, with the pandemic, some of these kids who were at risk and who maybe, so we had a few who were like, okay, we're, they were cutting before they came to our school, they had stopped and then the pandemic hit and then they started again. Yeah. And so we, you know, I just started seeing an uptick in this uh, number and I wanted to learn about it and figure out how can we create some safe spaces and um, in our school. That was one thing that I think stood out in your proposal is that you weren't just trying to fix the problem. Like we, we need to stop this. We need to get it. Right. You really wanted to figure out the why behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, you said in your proposal that a lot of times when teachers seek help with students who are having, who are cutting or are having suicidal ideations that the response is we'll refer them to therapy and don't give them, maybe don't give them so much homework. Mm-hmm. And that, that you really wanted to figure out why is this happening and how can we partner with parents and could you really get at the root of it? Um, which again, is just so humane instead of mm-hmm. just trying to fix it. But, but you mm-hmm. found a partner, it seems in a psychiatrist or psychologist, Dr. Thomas D'Angelo. Yes. And mm-hmm. tell me kind of about what you will be doing with him over the summer. So um, the plan is to have um, two or three sessions. He lives in North Carolina, I think. So it's going to be phone zoom um, of just really digging in. I've already kind of had a pre like one session. He's just, he's like so easy to talk to. He's a very um, similar hearted kind of person, just really connected and really, um, I didn't feel talked down to, he was no, you know, like I, I had that fear of like, oh, if I go into like asking for help from a, you know, a doctor that they're gonna be like, okay, let me just, you know, so he was not condescending at all. He was so appreciative of the, the ability to help. And he, you know, and he was so excited to, um, to be able to supply some support for our kids and for our staff to be able to supply the support for our kids. So the plan is to have maybe hour long, we'll see how it goes. He's pretty generous with his time. I applied for the stipend to be able to pay him um, because he's donating, he's giving this time to us. And I wanted to, I wanted to um, thank him for that. And so um, we'll probably have two or three sessions during the summer of just really digging into and kind of like letting the conversation go where it needs to go, addressing particular things, you know, coming back a month later and like, okay, where are we at with that? And what, um, you know, what new questions or what new concerns have come up and, you know, just having some time to process the different ideas and things. Um, so it's really open-ended. It's kind of, uh, honestly, the, cir- the circle grant, because I really appreciate the open-endedness of it because I just have no idea where it's just really a big question mark for me. Like, I don't know what to do with this topic. Somebody like, you know, I, but I need, I would like um, to partner with someone. And so he's just as a nugget, like one of the things that he pointed out to me, one of the, that I was kind of already kind of shifted things for me is how with students with youth who cut that the oftentimes, and he said, you know, never like prescribed, you always have to find out. But oftentimes when he talks to them and he asks about where does the distress come from, does the, about cutting, does the distress come from the cutting itself? Does that cause you distress or is it other people's reaction to your cutting? And mostly it's the reaction. So they, they feel distressed and about the fact that they're cutting 
because other people react so strongly to it. And, um, and then the other thing that he talked about was how sometimes, so, you know, all, all behaviors basically are rooted in some sort of self preservation and something that you're doing that actually is, there's a positive thing that you're trying to do. And cutting is, is often rooted in, and happens a lot of times with puberty because it's a time when you're really coming into your body and your body is changing and you're trying to can like, there's like a grounded trying to ground yourself in your body. And that's one of the things that cutting does is ground yourself in your body. So for students who, you know, for kids who want to move away, which most of them do, most of them want to stop cutting, um, that finding other techniques for grounding yourself in your body and learning other ways of doing that is part of the path of healing. It isn't just, you have to stop. This is scary. You know, oh, we can't, you can't be around knives anymore. You can't have any sharp objects, but instead like, yes, going back to that, like, what is the thing? What is the impulse that you're trying to address? Mm -hmm. But that's just, so that was like, just from our introduction conversation is where he, some of that stuff came up that I'm already like, okay, my wheels are spinning, you know? So yeah, I'm really excited. You said that afterwards you're going to be doing a question, persuade, refer online course. What is yeah, that? So, so this is something that I, um, you know, it's just sort of like an online or like a training thing. It is specific, that one's specifically about suicide um, prevention. So, you know, because I'm talking mostly to Dr. D'Angelo about cutting, but I will, we will talk about suicide too. Um, it isn't as big of a concern for our students right now, but I definitely want to be prepared. Mm -hmm. Um this uh, was a, it's, it's a course that was recommended by another colleague of mine, who, um, which is um, about like, if you become aware of somebody who's um, considering suicide, like what are, what are some steps to take? So it's, I think, a pretty practical step one, step two, step three course. I wanted to, I wanted to get a little bit of like some information from maybe a a more, I don't know if it's conventional, but this is a, from, this is a, a program that I think a lot of public schools use um, in a training process. And it was a very affordable one. And it looked, you know, it was one that I, that I saw and said, you know, it, I could, I can add that in mm -hmm. and have like some of this other, some of these other tools. Mm -hmm. And I can even use that and be like, okay, you know, Dr. D'Angelo, what do you think about this? You know, and get, a, can I have a couple of different perspectives? on and see if he thinks oh yeah that's a good process I think you know suicide prevention like like cutting is one of those things where you're like oh is it like you know it's, it's sort of self-destructive behavior it's not great but like you a lot of times people grow out of it if we don't make a big you know if we don't like oh freak out a lot of times they grow out of it but suicide ideation is not something that you want to play around with you know and that's definitely something that you know I want to make sure we are on top of if anything does come up for our kids that, that those students are helped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, um, then after all of that, when you said the open-ended nature of these circle grants, I think um, the, the, the fact, the point or the aspect of them that I'm the most interested in is that each of you in this social emotional learning cohort mm -hmm. um, will come back and you are all pursuing incredibly disparate things 
all trying to get at well-being for your students. Right. And so the last part of that is that you will reflect together and look at what each of you have learned and then process it together and reflect and then then come up with some implementation ideas um, right. drawing from everyone. And so uh, I think that really eager to see what comes out of, of, of that collaboration. Me too. Yeah, Me too. that has, it, it has been really great already to see what other people's interests are because I'm, you know, like I, I, I I'm doing this one thing, but I'm going to learn 10 different things, you know, because other people are doing, are going to be bringing like their, their stuff. It's, it's, that's such a great idea. I'm, I'm really excited about that too. Okay. So I think um, just as I begin each conversation with what made you become a teacher, I always try to end the conversation with, is there anything that I did not ask you? Right. Um, no, I mean, to be honest, you asked me more than I expected. So I'm, I was glad to be able to give a little bit more um, information and uh, background. And um, yeah, I, I really appreciate your curiosity and how open you've been <laughs> about something that honestly is a little rev- like, it can be a little radical. Um, well, it's, I, I, you said that you have three children, I think mm-hmm. 12, 10 and seven. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have two children. Okay. You are 20 and 18. Okay. And so um, I, I have to say there's a little bit of, uh, of self-motivation there too, because uh, I am interested in, and obviously the topic of education and unique, mm-hmm. unique avenues, just like fun for teachers. There's nothing like fun for teachers that right. believes in teachers and trusts, you know, trust you to do what you think you should do and, right. um, and use your voice to implement it the way you think you should. Exactly. Um, but I think as, as parents, you know, we also, we, our children struggle at all different ages and our friends, kids struggle. So it's important information to, to know. So I'm grateful to hear about what you're doing and your plans and definitely we'll circle back and see, um, but it's very timely, very relevant, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but, uh, really am, am impressed with how you're tackling it and, and, and the format in which you do it at your school. Well, thank you. We look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from almost 9,000 Fund for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org slash blog, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you, Fund for Teachers fellow Cassie Clausen, for shedding light on the rising incidents of preteen and teen self-harm and her plans to learn ways to create safe spaces for at-risk students. If you are interested in learning more about this topic, Cassie suggests starting with an American Psychiatry article titled A New Look at Self-Harm, which we'll link in this podcast landing page. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining us today at Fund for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning.
Um, anything, oh, I was gonna say, is there anything you would tell teachers who would be considering applying for a Fund for Teachers grant? Um, How do you find out about Fund for Teachers? <laughs> I don't remember. Um, I think, I, I, I honestly can't remember. We did, we, we have, you know, as a school gone through different seasons of like really paying attention to grant opportunities. And I think it was one time, it, maybe it was one that, you know, popped up. Um, oh, I think it was, we, I, I have a friend who's a grant writer and who kind of was keeping an eye out for stuff. And I think she sent me um, this and, and it, I, I, you know, what you just said about how, about trusting teachers and how like the, the fellowship opportunities and how it's just really, there's a lot of open endedness and it's not just like, well, you have to do this really prescribed process in order to learn, like that really appealed to me. And um, so I, I think it, the other thing is having been a fellow, the, I've also been, had the opportunity to be on the side of reading the grant proposals. And I would tell everybody who's thinking about applying for a fund for teachers grant is to make sure that you thoroughly answer every part <laughs> of the of the the question and you know that you look at the 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 matrix that's used and and clearly answer uh, all parts of of the prompt so but um i don't know you know i think and i think like also having a clear vision of what you want to do for the fellowship not the same thing for the circle you know having a clear vision of what you want to do and why um I think sometimes people go oh a grant I want money to do something fun and then they kind of like it's clear that they really don't have a clear idea of what they want they just want to travel and which is great traveling is great and it's also a really like wonderful learning opportunity um so yeah I guess what these grants are about yeah yeah like really like clarify in your mind what you're doing and and um and then and then attack you know get to the the application and and answer every part. <laughs> yeah. It's an open yeah. book test. I mean, we give you the rubric and absolutely, you know how you're going to be judged. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think that your students would probably be really good at doing since they're learning how to fend for themselves and learn for themselves. And yeah, usually, yeah. I mean, they, it takes them a while. It's hard. It's hard to do, you know, um, but you, it, yeah. You must be so proud. So incredible. I am. I am. We're um, having our first graduates are going into the diploma process next year. And I'm very, it is, there are kids who've been with, I mean, our, so our school's six years old. I started the school in 2015. And so it's um, the first time that we're going to be graduating anyone. And I'm very proud of them to see how far they've come and excited to see where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'm excited to see where the school's going. And where you'll go with this grant. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you so Very much. Grateful. Enjoy the time with just one child. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I can't, yeah, I can imagine. And and do, I, I love that you have no shame in resting. I don't know how you do yeah. it. Being a parent of three, but you're a parent yeah. of 34, yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> right, yeah. So, oh. Well, I will uh, put this together, package it up and okay. um, send it to you for you to hear. And then okay. the goal is for me to have it published uh, next Friday. Okay. That's quick turnaround. That's the goal. That's the okay. goal. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Awesome. Don't Thank we you do it, so but. much for this. Thank you for, for asking me to do it. I'm, uh, I appreciate it. Really a pleasure. Really a pleasure. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye.